Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you again that it is living and breathing, and it ministers to every single one of us. And Lord, I pray for tonight that every heart would be open to what you want to minister to us. Father, I'm just so thankful that the way your word is always right on time, and that nothing happens by chance in your kingdom. And Lord, everyone who's here tonight is here by divine appointment. Lord, you brought us here, Lord, to worship you and to receive from you, to hear from your word. So, Lord, we pray that you would be our teacher, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, Leviticus chapter 10. Now, last week, chapter 9 ended with God confirming the institution of the priestly ministry and the sacrificial system. And real quickly, let's look at the last three verses because it really sets the stage for what happens tonight. I want us to get the context and see exactly what was happening as the glory of God appears to the people. Look at verse 22. It says, Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. Now during this last chapter, we saw that they were the last couple chapters, they were clothed and they were consecrated to serve the Lord, and then the glory of the Lord showed up. The glory of the Lord appeared. And when the glory of the Lord was to make him manifest, and we'll see in the last couple of verses here, to reveal that the sacrificial system and everything that was happening was ordained and authorized by him. And so in verse 22, we see that, that Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them. And I shared with you what he said to them last week. It says in Numbers 6, 24 through 26, most of you probably heard this somewhere before. He said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up His countenance and give you peace. So He gave them this benediction. And then it says He came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering. We talked about last week that the elevated altar was a picture of what? Who remembers? What's it a picture of? The cross. Thank you, Pogi. It's a picture of the cross. Because we know that Jesus went up to be crucified. And it says there that the high priest is a picture or type of Christ came down, a picture of him coming down from the cross. And we see there that they offered three offerings, the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the peace offering. We've talked about the fact that they're always in that order for a reason, because without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission for sin. Without the burnt offering or the total dedication where the entire offering was consumed, a picture of what Christ did for us, there would be no peace. And that's why the peace offering always follows the burnt offering and the sin offering. Verse 23, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. So Moses, a type or a picture of the law, and Aaron the high priest, a picture of Christ, went into the tabernacle together, and they instituted the, the priestly duties. Aaron began to serve in the temple, or in the tabernacle in this case, as the great high priest, a picture of the great high priest, the high priest. So he blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The word glory there is kabod, and it's the glory of God literally appeared to the people. They knew that there's no doubt that this is or, or originated from God and came from God. And so here we're going to see in verse 24, look what it says. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat of the altar. So to make sure there was no doubt that this is authorized and ordained by God, literally fire came out. And we don't know if it came out of the Holy of Holies or if it came down from heaven, but in either case, it was very clear that as it came out, it consumed the offering on the burnt altar, a picture of, of Christ's death on the cross for us, that it was God's confirmation that this was authorized by Him. There should be no doubt from the people that Aaron was the high priest that God had ordained. There should be no doubt from the people that this tabernacle that they had erected was definitely something that God had, had 
put together, and now they knew that the, the sacrificial system was created by God and approved by God as they see the fire come out and consume the offering. Then look what it says, and the people shouted and fell on their faces. And I love the word for shout here. It's shouts of worship. That, that once they knew that God was in their presence, they began to worship. And you know what? That's what should be happening. You know what? I love to worship. And I, I want to encourage you with something. And I'm just going to speak from my heart. I think that as a church, we could use a little more heart of worship around here. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. amen. Sometimes I think we're, uh, maybe you're tired, I don't know. But, you know, I think we're like sleepwalking through worship sometimes. And here's the reality, that God is worthy to be worshipped and to be praised. Amen? And this is a picture of what's going to go on in heaven is worship. We're not going to be reading the Bible in heaven because the Word's going to be there. We're not going to be witnessing in heaven because everybody's already saved. Amen? We're not going to be doing it, but we will be worshiping. And if we want to get a picture of heaven, we need to just be worshiping Him. And these people, when they saw the glory of the Lord, it drove them to one thing, to worship. And then it says, they fell on their faces. And again, in awe and reverence of Almighty God, and the verse that came to mind is Isaiah 6, 5, where Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am, a, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. You know what? When you truly see God for who He is, you're undone. And you're undone at His holiness, and you're undone at your own unworthiness. Amen? When you see God, you go, whoa, God is so awesome. God is so incredible. He's so gracious. He's so merciful. What a great and awesome God we serve. Now, I, I'm sharing these last three verses with you because I want you to see what's going to happen next. Because in the midst of this, the people are shouting, the people are worshiping, the fire of God has come down and consumed the offering, confirming the ministry of the tabernacle, confirming the ministry of the high priest. We're going to see several things happen, and really sad. We're going to move from con this consuming fire to profane fire, and finally to fire of judgment. So here's the two things if you're taking notes tonight. First, we're going to see God's swift and righteous judgment against the unholy action of the priests. You know, there's a guy I watch, I don't know why I watch it, I just, it just it makes me angry every time I, I don't want to do it. But there's this guy on TV that is such a charlatan, that he, the guy's got to be filled with Satan, it's pathetic. I mean, he just says stuff, I've literally prayed that God would just strike him down, I have. I've been watching him on TV, I'm like, Lord, just smoke him, it'll be great right now, it'll be good. Go ahead, in your perfect timing, if it's your will, smoke this guy. Because he sits there and says things like, Thus saith the Lord, and God just told me, and he's doing all this gyrations, and he starts pretending to speak in tongues, and he starts saying all this stuff, and, he's tell and all he tells people every week is, send in your $1,000 seed offering and God will bless you. That's, his, that's the only message he has. And we know that, that he got busted a few years ago. He had $66 million he made a couple years ago. And it shows me that there's these people out there that are charlatans fleecing God's people, pretending to be men used by God. And we're going to see what God thinks about people who are put in places or positions to be used mightily by God, and they use it for their own glory. We're going to see that tonight in the first couple of verses. Then we're going to move on to God's instructions for serving in a righteous way as priests, but also that will apply to us. And here's the things we're going to see. That we are to touch not the glory, that we are to touch no unclean thing, that we're not to mourn as those without hope, that we're to touch not the wine, that we're to be fed by and nourished by the ministry, and that we are to be faithful to the things that God has called us to do. So let's begin in verse 1, and we're going to move again from that consuming fire to profane fire, and then finally to fire of judgment. Look at verse 1. It says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, 
put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now, Nadab and Abihu are the two oldest sons of Aaron. So these are the guys, they're also priests. Remember last chapter and the chapter before we saw that Aaron was clothed, clothed with the clothing of the great high priest, but then his sons were also clothed as priests? And they were put in positions by God, to be used by God, to intercede between holy God and sinful man, to represent God to men and represent men to God. This was an incredible privilege. These guys were there and they saw the, the, the um, tabernacle being built. They heard the commands of God. They were, you know, they were walked through the Red Sea parting. They saw all the things God did and then God anointed them with oil and put them into ministry. And these guys have just seen this incredible act of the consuming fire of God coming out and consuming the burnt offering. The people have fallen on their faces. They're worshiping the Lord. It's an incredible moment. And what do these guys do? Let me tell you what they do. These guys want the focus on themselves. And so what they do is they take these censers that it talks about in Exodus 25 that were used in the holy place to burn incense before the Lord. It was only to be used for holy purposes. It was only to be used at a set time. And only the high priest was supposed to do it. Nobody else. Now, these guys are priests. Are they the high priest? The answer is no. How many priests were to go into the tabernacle at a time to make sacrifice or to do the, do the priestly duties? How many? One. Why? Because it's a picture of Christ. As you saw on Sunday, there are not many paths to God. Amen? There are not many ways. There are not many messiahs. There's just one. And so only one would enter in at a time and only at the appointed time and only in the appointed way. But these guys are caught up, and we'll see why in a minute they're caught up, but these guys are caught up in their flesh, and they want some attention for themselves. They got their new priestly robes on, and they want to start using them, okay? And so they get the censer out, and it says there that they took and they put fire in it, and they put incense upon it. Incense is a picture of prayer, and only is to be done at a specific time in a specific way. But it says then they put profane fire before, offer profane fire before the Lord. Now, it's profane fire because the fire was only to be taken from one place for all the offerings. Where? Who knows? From the altar. Why? The altar is a picture of what? Are we, are we napping? Where's the altar a picture of? It's a picture of the cross. And so only on the cross can the sacrifices be made, and only from the fire on the, the altar was fire to be taken and used in the tabernacle. Well, these guys don't go and use the godly fire off the altar, again, a picture of Christ. Instead, they create their own fire, and it's profane fire, their own doctrine, their own way, their own truth, their own path. These guys, this is like Joseph Smith right here, okay? It's like the Mormon church, and it's all these false gods and false doctrines and false truths, and these guys take and they want attention unto themselves, and they want to use their priestly garments, and so they make profane fire, and they go into a place that they should not be. And they stood before the Lord. It says, before the Lord. They stood before Him, and they stood before Him apart from the true atoning work on the cross. Now, it had not been commanded them. It was contrary to God's clear law, and they did it anyway. They went in together, not alone. Not at the appointed time, and fire not taken from the altar. So here the people are. They're in 
in reverence before God, they're in awe before Him, they're worshiping Him, and these priests, these men called out by God to represent Him, begin with clear and direct instructions, instead of worshiping with the others in an act of irreverence for God and carelessness and disobedience to His commands, try to draw attention to themselves. And look what it says there, the end of the verse, as again, He had not commanded them. So they offer this false sacrifice, this false prayer, and they go in. Now, how is God going to respond to this? Look at verse 2. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. What does God think about people trying to have another path to salvation? What does God think about somebody trying to come before Him apart from the cross and apart from the atoning work of Jesus Christ? How does the Lord feel about someone doing it their own way, their own, own path, their own righteousness? You know what? If you come before God and you're not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you will die. Amen? It's a fact. How many sinners we got in the room tonight? Raise your hand. That, that ought to be all of you. If your hands on up, you just sinned again because you're lying. Okay? We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Every one of us. And that's why Jesus came and died, that we might have eternal life. And so sadly, what we see here is we see these guys going in with their own agenda, their own path, their own way. And you know, these guys would get along great in Santa Cruz, Right? I mean, everybody's got their own path, their own way, their own move, their own thing, and we know that Jesus is the only way. And so when they went in before Almighty God, without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, without the atoning work of the cross, without what God had commanded them to do, the fire came out and killed them. You know, later in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira do the same thing. How many of you guys remember that story? They come before God, they pretend that they've given their offering, remember that? And they, had, they really held back from God, and what happened to them? God dropped, God killed him. And people might say, well, man, that just doesn't seem fair. What kind of God are we serving here? He's killing people? You know what? Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy, and these guys have been given the truth over and over. They'd seen his works over and over, and they said, God, we don't want to do it your way. We're doing it our way. God, we got, we got our own plan. And so these people bring judgment upon themselves by going contrary to God's will. They died before the Lord. The wages of sin is death. They died in the very act of their sin. They sinned by using this fire. And what did God use to strike them down? The very same fire. The thing that they used to sin was the thing that brought judgment upon them. And so these guys come in, the judgment comes upon them, and they're struck down dead. Again, a picture of man's efforts to somehow atone for his own sin. Their death would also serve as a notice to all the other priests. You think the other priests are paying attention? Do you think the other guys are, whoa? Do you think the people might have seen what was going on? Here God's done a miraculous and awesome work. People are praising the Lord. They're crying out to God. They're in awe and reverence of Him. And these guys, and we're going to see in a minute, in a drunken stupor, because that's what we're going to see in the text, these guys are lit, and they're going to light a fire, and they're going to go tra traipsing in where they don't belong, and they're going to tra traipse on the glory of God, and they're going to go in their own way, their own path, their own method, and God strikes them down dead. And all the other people went, oh. So the same fire that consumed the burnt offering that caused people to glorify God is the same fire that brings judgment. And you know what that is? It's a picture of the cross. Because the cross is either the place of salvation or it's the place of judgment. Amen? For us, it's the place of salvation. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, that's why we wear crosses around our neck. Amen? Because it's a, it's a remembrance of what Christ did for us. It's a blessing. We look back to the cross and we're, oh, thank you, Lord, for the cross. 
But people that don't know Christ, the cross is a place not of salvation, but a place of judgment. And the fire had come and consumed the burnt offering, causing the children of Israel to worship. But now these guys had brought them to the end of themselves, and they died. Their position as priests not, did not offer them immunity from their actions. These guys were in a holy position, but they still were struck down dead. And sometimes we think because we got initials in front of our name or because we've been put into some high office or whatever that somehow we have immunity before God. And the reality is there's not immunity before God. There's just heavier judgment before God when you've been called by God to be in a pastoral ministry or put in a place where you're ministering to others. You'll be accountable for that one day. You know what? One of the, the reason I study as much as I do with the Bible, I want to bless you guys, but let me tell you, that's not the number one reason I study as much as I do. I study because you know who's here tonight? Who's here tonight? The Lord is. And do you know that I will answer to Him for every word that comes out of my mouth? So do you know that every time I get ready to teach the Bible, I come with fear and trembling and awe and reverence for Almighty God? And I cry out in desperation say, Lord, please let them be your words. And Lord, I do not want to stumble your people. I do not want to harm your people. Lord, please, you know, for the sake of your people, use this unworthy vessel. May I be broken before you. And you know what? I prepare that. I want you guys to be blessed, but I'm more preparing because I know I will stand before God one day. These guys forgot that. These guys went charging in. They were on their own path. And sadly, we see a lot of that in the church today. You know what? God, now we're going to see from God's reaction to these, this ungodliness of the priest, we're going to see God's instructions for serving Him righteously, both as priest and just for each one of us in this room tonight. God's judgment's going to be heavy on those that teach false doctrine. That guy that's on TV, if he doesn't repent, he's going to be dealing with God soon. Okay, And the same is true with us. God has revealed to us His truth, and now what are we going to do with it? So here's some, some instructions for serving God in a righteous way. First of all, touch not the glory. Verse 3. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying. How do you think Aaron's feeling right about now? Aaron has just been made the high priest. He'd been consecrated to serve the Lord. He went up and he blessed the people. He saw the fire of God come down and consume the burnt offering. He saw the institution of his priestly ministry. He saw the people begin to worship and praise Almighty God. They were in awe and reverence of Him. They fall on their faces. What an incredible moment. And then moments later, his drunken sons go barreling into the most holy place, bringing false, profane fire before God, and they get smoked. Aaron goes from one of the greatest, probably the greatest moment of his life, to a moment of grieving over his two sons. Aaron's sitting there, and here comes Moses to minister to Aaron. And he says to him, This, the, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come, who come near to me, I must re, be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. He's clothed in his garments. He's standing before God. It's an incredible moment. And all of a sudden, his sons have been struck down. And then he comes to him and said, this is what the Lord spoke. In Exodus 19.22, it says, And let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. They've been warned all the way back in Exodus when they were putting the priest in position or telling them what the priest would be doing. It said, you need to consecrate yourself. You need to be holy. If you're going to come into my presence, you need to be set apart. You know, guys, here's the, here's the application for us. If you're going to be in God's presence, you need to begin with prayer and prayer of repentance. Amen? We need to be repenting every day. We need to come before God with a confessing heart. Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Draw me back into fellowship with you. 
And we see here that these guys had gone contrary to what had been commanded. It resulted in their death. And now he's coming, Moses is coming and explaining it to Aaron. They were, they were to approach God in awe and in reverence of His holiness. Did Nadab and Abihu do that? Did they come in, with awe and reverence to the Lord? Did they fall on their faces in worship? No. They looked at their priestly garments. They thought they were something special. And they went drunkenly traipsing into the holy place and faced God's judgment. And before all the people, I must be glorified, it said. God alone must receive the glory. Aaron's sons were trying to attract attention to themselves. The sin of pride and irreverence. We must only and always point people to God. Amen? If you ever see a ministry, you've heard me say this many times, the worldwide ministry of and has got somebody's name after it. Run from that place quickly. Amen? We're not to edify and glorify man. Men are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We're just, I'm just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? And as soon as we start putting men on a pedestal, as soon as we start glorifying and honoring people because of their position, we've missed it. Pastor means servant. And sadly, I see too many churches where the pastor is like a celebrity. It's nauseating. You go places, oh, it's bad. Oh. You know, give me a break. The guy's a sinner in desperate need of a Savior just like you. Amen? And remember that. And I'm here to serve you guys. You're not here to serve me. I'm here to serve you. That's what God's called me to do. The under rower, the guy at the bottom of the boat. And these guys didn't get it. They had their priestly robes on. They thought they were something special, and they went charging in. They wanted to get people to look at them. They wanted people to talk about them. I don't, you know what? I didn't want my name on anything. You know why? Because I don't want in any way to be stumbled by pride. I don't want my name on our yellow page ad. I don't want to name nothing. Why? Because it's not about Pastor Dave, and it's not about you if you're in the children's ministry. It's not about you if you're, if you're the one help coming to set up chairs. It's not about you if you're in the, working in the bookstore. It's not about you if you're on the worship team. It's all about Him. Amen? It's all for His glory, His honor, His praise, His worship. He alone must be glorified. Touch not the glory. Amen? And these guys were smoked because they tried to touch God's glory. Men will let you down. God never, never will. Verse four, at the end of verse 3, So Aaron held his peace. This guy was awestruck. He was dumbfounded. He had no idea what to say. Moses comes and gives him the truth. And Aaron, no doubt, saw the sinfulness of his own boys and could say nothing. No doubt grieving in his heart, but at the same time seeing the righteousness and the holiness of Almighty God. And we're going to see just how God desires that he respond in the midst of this difficulty. In spite of losing his two sons, he didn't complain. He submitted to the righteous judgment of God. So number one, if you're taking notes, instructions for serving righteously is touch not the glory. Number two, touch no unclean thing. Verse four, Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near and carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. Now, these men are the cousins of Aaron, but they were not of the priestly line. And the reason that these men were called in to carry the body out is because priests would be defiled if they touched any unclean thing. They were not to touch a dead body. They were not to touch anything that was unclean. And this is an example for us if we want to serve God with our whole heart. We need to touch not His glory, and we need to touch no unclean thing. Now, we're not saved because we're perfect. Amen? And we don't strive to do good works so somehow God will love us. But 
we do good works because we are new creations in Christ, because the Spirit of the living God lives within us, and He makes His desire our desire. Amen? He says, be holy for I am holy. So I don't do works so God will love me, I do works because God loves me. Amen? I, I love Him, and I respond to Him, and I know that He knows what's best for me, and when He gives me His Word, it's a love letter to Dave from Almighty God. I look at this and go, Almighty God wrote this for me. And it's a love letter because he cares for me so much. Imagine if, if you're, the person who loves you most in the world was going away and you were never going to see them again and they left a love letter for you on the kitchen table and said, I'm going to give you instructions that if you follow, your life will be wonderful and incredible. All the years of living on this planet, I've learned so many incredible things. I'm leaving you this letter. And was the wisest person who ever lived. How quickly would you open that thing up? That's what this is. Greater than that. It's a love letter from Almighty God to us. It gives us instruction for our lives. And so, they're to touch no unclean thing. And the application for you and I is that we are not to compromise our walk with God. Not even to please our earthly family. Sometimes it's, well, I've got to compromise because I've got to make my family happy. You know what? The Bible says that we're to love God above all else. Amen? And all means what? All. You mean I'm supposed to love God more than I love my wife? Yes. Your husband, yeah. Your children, yeah. That's a hard one sometimes, huh? Because you have a supernatural love for your kids. God wants you to love Him more than you love them. If you don't, they're an idol. Now, here's the awesome thing. When you have a supernatural love for God, guess what kind of love you're going to have for your kids? Supernatural. Guess what kind of love you're going to have for your spouse? Supernatural. More incredible than anything the world can even imagine, right? But it comes from loving God above all else. Now, they carried him out, it says here, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. Now, when they're carrying him out, who might be watching this? Everybody. These guys were just anointed as priests. And now, all of a sudden, they're carrying their dead bodies out. Everybody would be going, whoa. That fire that came and consumed the burnt offering that drove us to worship, that same fire came from before the Lord and struck these guys down because they got in their flesh, they sought to touch the glory, they sought the glory for themselves, they went contrary to the word of God and it resulted in their death. And so the people could see, and it was an opportunity, an object lesson for them to see that they were not to do the same thing. Sin's consequences are heavy no matter what position we hold. And they would remove the defilement from the sanctuary. They didn't leave the dead bodies in there. They took the dead bodies out. And they didn't touch them. And all the congregation saw as the bodies went out. And it was a lesson to them. Verse 5. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. Now, this is sad. What was a tunic? Who remembers? It was a priestly garment. What color was it? Does anybody remember? It was white. Picture of righteousness. And they wore this all-white garment, a picture of the righteousness that they would have as priests, serving in that most holy place. And this garment that could have been used for the glory of God was instead used as grave clothes. You know, the same is true of us. God created us to have a relationship with Him. This tent that He's given us, we can use for His glory, or it can be the tent that we take to our grave. We can either use it for His honor and His praise and His worship, or it can be something that we carry with us into separation from Almighty God. They'd just been robbed of their priest, robed in their priestly garments. They were allowed in this position to go to their heads, and these guys fall into sin. This outward adorning will not protect us from inward judgment. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, and God looks on the heart. These guys were wearing the white robes, and from the world's perspective, they were looking really good. But God knew their hearts. 
Hey, some of you might be here tonight, and maybe you go to church, or maybe it's your first time, and maybe from the world's perspective, you look like a pretty good person. I want you to know that God loves you, and he, he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, but he knows your heart. And the good news is, he that knows me best loves me most. He knows every sin you've ever committed, and he loves you anyway. Amen? He loves you anyway. What a great God we serve. But we have a choice to make. Choose today whom you're going to serve. You're going to fall in love with him and follow him, or you're going to follow yourself. Verse 6. So the number three thing is, we are not to mourn as those without hope. We're not to mourn as those without hope. Verse 6. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar his sons, Do not cover your heads nor tear your clothes lest you die. And the wrath come upon all the people. And wrath come upon all the people. Now, God's judgment had come. And the priests were instructed. These other two, Ithamar and Eleazar, are the younger sons of Aaron. So the two older boys are dead. These are the two younger sons that are still alive. Eleazar would be the one who later we're going to see the priestly line is going to come through Eleazar. All right? So these two younger boys are there with Aaron, and they're told, don't mourn. Now, wait a minute. Our brothers are dead. Our, our, my sons are dead. How, how can I not mourn? And let me tell you why they were not to mourn. Because these guys were put in the position of the, great, of the high priest and the priest. They were to represent God to the people. Was it God that brought the judgment? Yes. Is God's judgment always righteous? Absolutely. Is it always holy and loving and gracious? Absolutely. So the death of these boys was God's plan. And it was because of their unfaithfulness. And if they would start mourning... Now remember, they're wearing the priestly garments now. And the way they would mourn is they would take ashes and put them on top of their head. So everybody would know where they're mourning. And then they would take their clothes and they would rip them into pieces. So everybody would go, oh, that person's in mourning. And he said, I robed you in priestly garments... You are not to tear those robes and to pour ashes on your head when I have judged righteously. You're not to stand before the people and make it appear like I'm an unfair bummer God. Like I smoked these guys and it wasn't right. You know what? We should not be mourning when God's been faithful. And these guys were representing God to the people. And he said, don't mourn. Don't have outward appearance of mourning. Again, real clear picture that they are representations of Christ, not to cover their heads or, or to tear their clothes. Revelation 19, 20, 19, it says, there are 24 elders around the throne. You know what they're saying right now? What are they going to say when we get to heaven? They say, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Righteous and true. If these guys tore their clothes and put ashes on their head, they'd say, unrighteous and unfair are your judgments, O Lord. God said, you don't do that. My judge, I'm faithful. I'm merciful. I'm loving. I'm gracious. Don't betray me. You know, it's sad what people do with God today. They make God this guy up in the sky holding a lightning bolt waiting for you to make a mistake so he can smoke you. You ever seen God portrayed that way before? Right, big long beard. Oh, admit, you know. That's not the God we serve. If that were true, we'd all be a bunch of ash heaps. Amen? We'd have been smoked a long time ago, every one of us. But God is gracious and merciful, and he said, don't you portray me as unfair and unloving. Don't mourn outwardly because of righteous judgment. It says, lest you die and the wrath come upon the people. If they were to, do, to portray God in such a way that God would then uh, bring judgment upon them and on all the people, if they were to question his judgment. Then it, then it says in the rest of the verse that the whole house, look at verse 6, 
Do not cover your heads, and the wrath will come upon the people. But let your brethren and the whole house of Israel bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. So while the priest was not to mourn, it was okay for the people to mourn. And again, not so much for the death of these men as much as the reason it took place. Because these guys tried to put themselves in the position of God. Tried to do things their own way. And the people began to mourn. The awfulness of sin has consequences. And let me just say this. I want to encourage you with something. We, do, we grieve, but not as those without hope. Amen? How many of you have lost somebody you loved any time in your lifetime? Raise your hand. Look at almost every hand in the room's up. Amen? Now, we grieve because we miss them, but we don't grieve as those without hope. Amen? Why? Because what do we have a promise of? We talked about it Sunday. What's our promise? We're going to heaven. Amen? And while our hearts are broken and we grieve, we don't grieve as those without hope. And I want to be honest with you, and I want to say this as delicately as I can. If we are going on and on, day after day, week after week, minute after minute, in depression and bummed out and anxious and worried because we lost a loved one a month ago, six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, and we don't recover, that's not God. Amen? Does God debilitate us to the point where we're, just, we're done forever? And the enemy says, oh, your life's over now. Just forget it. You might as well die yourself because that person's not here. You know what? You need to love God more than you even love the person that you lost. Amen? And you know what? What, is, what kind of a testimony is it to the world when we've lost somebody? Again, not that we don't ever grieve. I'm not saying it's a sin to grieve, okay? Let me make sure that you don't walk out here saying, Pastor Dave said if you cry over something. That's not what I'm saying. You know what? We weep when they die. Jesus wept over the, the, the consequences of sin with Lazarus. Amen? But we don't weep to the point where it takes our life over. Amen? To, we, to where we're sitting in the room with the curtains drawn in darkness and just, oh, we're disaster. What kind of God are we serving if that's what happens to us when we lose somebody? Hey, they didn't die, they moved. Amen? And they moved to a much better neighborhood. And we miss them, but praise God, we're going to see them again. And there's no more pain and no more death and no more sorrow and no more tears. And we have nothing to fear. Amen? And so in a way, we, should, we, we grieve because we're going to miss them, but we can also rejoice because we know where they are. Amen? I've got grandparents in heaven. Praise God. I miss him. I miss my grandfather and his sayings. I miss my grandmother from Texas. I miss him. But you know what? I don't feel bad for them. Amen? I feel bad for I'm kind of, hey, what'd you, you got to go before me. What's up with that, right? I mean, but it's an awesome thing to know. So we don't grieve as those without hope. And we don't walk around, oh, you know, and, you know, I've talked to people. What's, what's wrong? Eight years ago, you know, I lost one of my... my and, and again, I understand that there's grief, but as Christians, we have hope. Amen? And the difference is, I look at John Corson as a great example. He lost his wife and his daughter. And this guy is being used mightily by God. Why? Because he, he cried out to God and God comforted him. And when we keep sucking sympathy out of people, and oh yeah, eight years ago, oh yeah, you know, and we just walk around, and uh, we're, t we're ripping off God and God, representing God as someone who can't comfort us. Amen? Oh, God can't comfort me. What kind of God do you serve? Oh yeah, I'm just everything, oh, it's, it's horrible. Oh, yeah. and, we get, and you know what, that's true of everything else. Not just the loss of a loved one, but losing your job, or you know, going through an illness, or whatever it might be. You know, the people are going to look at you when you're going through the trial much closer. They're going to pull the magnifying glass out when the trials come, and they're going to say, okay, what kind of Christian are you? 
Let's see how real that God you serve is now that you've lost your job. Now that you've been diagnosed with cancer. What kind of God do you serve? And he's saying, look, don't mourn as those without hope. Don't be pouring ashes on your head and walking around like you have no hope and there's nothing left for you to look forward to and there's no joy coming. We can trust and know that God is faithful and He's merciful and He's loving and nothing happens by chance in His kingdom. Verse 7, You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. He said, you know what else? Don't leave the place of fellowship and intimacy. Don't when, when, when things get difficult, don't flee from me. How many of you know, either done it yourself or known somebody that things got tough and they ran away from God instead of running to Him? Amen? Things got tough, so run away from God. And He's saying, no, 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 no. You run to me. You guys don't leave the sanctuary. You don't go out of this place of intimacy, out of this place of fellowship. You stay near to me in the midst of difficulty and trials and struggles. He said, you've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. May we grieve, but not as those without hope. May we find comfort in the Lord, trust in His sovereignty. Everything He does is perfect. There's nothing you could have done to make that person live one day longer. Amen? Well, if I had just done this, well, if I had just done that different, if I... No, it is appointed for man once to live and then to die, and God is the one that appoints the day and the hour and the time, and God is sovereign, and there's peace in that, isn't there? They don't say, oh, it's all my fault if I just done things different. They might, no. God before the foundation of the world set up the time. Amen? Praise God for that. We can trust in His sovereignty. So, instructions for serving righteously. Touch not the glory, touch no unclean thing, and do not mourn as those without hope. Now we're going to get in some people's kitchen here. Look at number four. It's touch not the wine, or the beer, or the, the, whatever alcohol is your flavor of the month. Look at verse eight. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron and said, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. So the Lord says, speaks directly to Aaron. The first time he speaks directly to Aaron. And he says, Don't drink alcohol when you're trying to serve me. Have you ever noticed how alcohol and serving God just don't kind of mix very well? Right? Not good. I think this points to the fact that his boys were lit when they went in. Oh, I got an idea. Let's get our censors out. We got our preachly stuff on. Let's get in there, right? And they went tripping into the Holy of Holies and got smoked, right? They were out of God's will. And he's saying, don't touch the wine. Don't touch the alcohol. Now, I will say this. I don't believe... I don't want to, let me rephrase that. There are those who do not believe that the Bible teaches that you should never drink alcohol, period. And that's between you and the Lord, and I'm not going to stand here and tell you if you drink alcohol, if you have a glass of, of wine with dinner, that you're in sin. But let me just tell you this much. God has told me that if I drink any alcohol, I'm in sin. Now, as a pastor, I have even higher calling. 1 Timothy 3 says that I'm not to be given to wine. It says right here in this chapter that the priest is not to have intoxicating drink. Period. Also, drinking alcohol stumbles people. Right? I will not, not that I like him anyway, but I won't even drink a non-alcoholic beverage in a restaurant because somebody might walk in and go, Pastor Dave having a beer. You know what I mean? It may be no alcohol in it, but it could be stumbling some people. So to me, you can't get drunk if you don't drink any alcohol. It's amazing how that works, right? You can't have the fifth beer if you don't have the first one. And people say, well, I got liberty. You know, I got li-. Yeah, you do. You do. And again, it's between you and the Lord, but 
I don't see any scripture saying, fire up with some alcohol. I don't see that. I see a lot of places, don't, oh, don't drink it. Not good. Don't drink it. Not good. Don't drink it. Now, I bet we could probably go, and we're not going to do it, but we could go around the room and people could stand up and testify about how real good alcohol has been in your life. Amen? Oh, yeah, it was no bueno, right? I mean, we could talk about it over and over and over. And so the Bible, right here, they're saying, look, don't touch the wine. No alcohol for the priest. Points to the probability, again, that these guys have been lit. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what? I don't need alcohol. I got Jesus. Amen? I don't need alcohol. I don't need drugs. I don't need, you know, don't need it. I got Jesus. Amen? And if I got Jesus, I don't need any of that other stuff. Now, if you struggle with alcohol in the past, let me encourage you. God's a gracious and a merciful and a forgiving God. Amen? You can take a million steps away from God. It's one step back. You can make a decision tonight. I'm not going to drink any more alcohol ever again. God, help me. Amen? And you know what? That's a prayer he'd love to answer. Amen? And so I don't want you to feel judged and condemned because you used to drink alcohol because all sin is sin. But I want to encourage you going forward, if you want to be used mightily by God, then put the alcohol away. Strong reason not to drink. Look at verse 10. Look what it says. That you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. When you're lit, you don't know holy from unholy, you don't know clean from unclean, you don't know good from bad. You ever notice that? I played college football, and I didn't drink alcohol, but the guys on my team did, and I'm telling you what, they were fools. The Bible says calling them a man a fool. These guys, that's what they were. They were doing the dumbest stuff. I wish I had a video camera, because they would look like idiots the next day, right? You ever anybody get, and they get lit, and then they wake up the next day, and they got a headache, and then they want to go do it the next Friday. I've never figured that out, right? Oh, I, gotta, I can't even talk. Oh, my head hurts. I wrecked my car, but, well, next Friday, we've got to do it again. And you know, the thing is, that if we've got the Lord, and we've got the Holy Spirit, we don't need the alcohol. And he's telling these guys, look, touch not the wine, touch not the glory, touch no unclean thing, and don't drink it because it's going, to dis- it's going to dissuade you from making right decisions. If you took the number of times you drank alcohol and you did stupid things, probably almost everybody in this room could raise their hand and go, oh, that's, I've done that, right? You make foolish decisions. You're not in your right mind. You're doped up on poison of alcohol. And he's saying, look, you won't be able to determine between the clean and the unclean, between the righteous and the unrighteous, between the holy and the unholy, if you're lit, if you're drinking alcohol. Don't do it. Pretty clear. Verse 11. And he says, that you may teach the children of Israel all the stature which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. You cannot teach them the word unless you're sober of mind. You cannot instruct, you cannot testify, you cannot set an example if you're lit up on alcohol. Again, I'd love them to tell, how many of you can ever say this, don't raise your hand, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many of you have ever thought, even once in your lifetime, man, I'd love to share Jesus with this guy, but I got drunk with him before. You know what I'm talking about? I'd love to tell this guy about the Lord, but you know what? Well, back we went out and got hammered together, kind of hard for me to tell him about God now. Or, you know what I mean, or we smoked some pot together, or we did, you know, and that's, this, this goes for pot too, but always oh, want to talk about alcohol, not talking about pot, yeah, no. God, oh, God created it, God created weed, man, and God created it. <laughs> I hear that one more time. Bible, pharmakia for drugs in the Bible is the same word as sorcery. God doesn't want you out of your right mind. I don't give my mind over to anybody, amen? I'm not going to get so lit that I don't know what I'm doing, I'm not going to smoke you know, weed or take pills or anything that's going to get my mind off of him. Lord, I've got you. I don't need anything else. I'm high on Jesus. Amen. It didn't get any better than that, right? People ask me, what are you taking, dude? I want something. It's Jesus. Amen. 
I have no alcohol. I got nothing. I'm just in love with the Lord. He's what He created me for. It doesn't get any better than that. So touch not the glory. Touch no unclean thing. Do not mourn as those who weep. Touch not the wine. We're almost done. And Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar, verse 12, and Ithamar, his sons, who were left, and take the grain grain offering that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord and eat it without leaven beside the altar for it is most holy you shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due your son's due of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord for so I have been commanded now remember that he had told them that these part of these offerings belonged to the priest that was their provision so they were to take from what was given to the Lord and it was to provide for the priest and the Lord, they were being reminded that look even though your sons have blown it I'm still going to provide for you even though your kids have messed up I still love you. I'm still going to provide for you. The offering, this portion of the offering still belongs to you. I want to encourage you. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel guilty because of the sins of your children. Well, my kids are blowing it. You know, God can't use me because my kids are a mess. Again, we're to raise our kids in a godly home, but our kids have free will. Amen? And we can raise them in a godly home. We can teach them God's truth. But they're ultimately responsible for their own actions. And you're not disqualified from ministry if you've raised your kids in a godly home and you've prayed for them and you've loved them and they choose to walk away. That does not disqualify you from ministry. Amen? And right here we see God coming right back to him. He didn't say, okay, Aaron, your, your sons are knuckleheads, you're out. Is that what he said? Instead, he says, I want to make sure you know that I'm going to continue to provide for you. Verse 14 and 15. The breast of the wave offering, the thigh of the heave offering, you shall eat in a clean place, you, your sons, your daughters with you, for they, they are your due and your sons' due, which are given from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the children of Israel. The thigh of the heave offering, the breast of the wave offering, they shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire to offer as wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours, your sons' with you by statue forever, as the Lord has commanded. Remember, the the peace offering's pretty awesome. The fat, the best went to the Lord, this picture of fellowship. The thigh or the shoulder and the breast went to the priest, and the rest of it was consumed by the person who brought the offering. It was sharing a meal between God and the high priest and the person who brought the sacrifice. It's a picture of the fellowship that we have with the Son and with the Father. Amen? High priest, picture of Christ. The God the Father, picture of the Father. And us, the, sac- the one making the sacrifice, we have fellowship with him through Jesus Christ. So touch not the glory, touch no unclean thing. Do not mourn as those without hope. Touch not the wine and be fed through the ministry. And then lastly, be faithful to your calling. Verse 16. Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of his sin offering. And there it was, burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left. Now, it's interesting that the sin offering was what was to happen. Just real, real quickly. They would take the goat, they would sacrifice it, they would take the blood, and where do they sprinkle it? On the altar. And then after they did that, the priest was to eat a portion of it. Remember, this is a picture. Jesus said, if you do not eat my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. Now, the Catholics have misinterpreted that and said, you know, the, the communion is really his flesh. It's not. It's a picture of his flesh. Amen? But that's what it's a picture of, that sin had to be taken in by the high priest, a picture of what Christ would do for us. Well, in his grief, instead of doing what God had commanded, look at verse 17. Why have you not eaten a sin offering in a holy place, since it is most holy? God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. Verse 18. See, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in a holy place, as I have commanded. Because of his grief, he didn't feel like he was worthy to do it. He didn't feel like he was called anymore. He didn't feel like God would accept his offering anymore because his sons had blown it. 
And he didn't take the blood, and he didn't sprinkle it on the altar, and instead the entire sacrifice was burned. Remember, this is significant, because without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission for sins. You can't have a sin offering without blood being sprinkled on the altar. Unless Jesus died on the cross, we could not go to heaven. And that's what this is a picture of. But we're going to see God's grace and his mercy here as Moses addresses him in the last two verses. And then he said, and Aaron said to Moses, look, this is the day that they offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and such things have befallen me. If I had eaten a sin offering today, would it have been acceptable, accepted in the sight of the Lord? Aaron explains his behavior by saying, you know what, with my sons being killed, I just didn't even know if God could use me anymore. You know, my sons blew it. I didn't even know that it, it was okay for me to represent him to the people anymore because of my sons. I want you to know that God is not through with you because you're still breathing in and out. Amen? No matter what you've done, no matter how much you've blown it, God still wants to use you. And even if you've made mistakes in the past, again, he desires to use you right now. He desires to, to call you into ministry, whatever that ministry may be. Enemy wants us to feel disqualified because of the rebellion of our kids. And again, God says, I'm not through with you. I still love you. Verse 20. So when Moses heard that, he was content. We see the graciousness of God because he sees the heart of Aaron. So in review, God's swift and holy judgment against unholy actions of the priest. And then God's instructions for righteous service. If you're taking notes, again, touch not the glory. Touch no unclean thing. Do not mourn as those without hope. Touch not the wine. Be fed through the ministry. And I think there's an application for us spiritually. Amen? We should be fed through fellowship. You should be fed when you come to church and, you, and you're nourished through the Word of God. And be faithful to what God's called you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, for Your love and Your grace. And we thank You that, Father God, You've got a calling on every life that's in here tonight. And Lord, I just pray that You'd help us, Father, to touch not the glory. Lord, to... Touch not the wine to desire, Father God, to love you above all else. And I pray also, Lord, for those who would feel disqualified from ministry because of things that have happened in their past. I thank you, Lord, that it says that you've separated the, our sins as far as the east is from the west. And I pray for anybody here tonight, Lord, that feels that way, that you would encourage and strengthen them, Lord. That you let them know, even right now, in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you still desire to use them for your glory. You're not looking for ability, but availability. Lord, may we stand here available tonight to be used for you. Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you again for your word. May it minister to our hearts and change the way we live our lives, Lord. May we be people who, who are so focused on you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, everybody stand up and let's close the worship song.